In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So last time uh, was uh, we started studying the book of Ephesians, and we covered chapters 1 and 2. God willing, today we are going to continue um, uh, with chapter 3. Last week, um, St. Paul, um, he introduced um, you know, his subject and, and that he's speaking to the Ephesians, and he introduced himself. And the main focus that we discussed last time um, is, is and, and really the, one of the major themes of the book of Ephesians, is that we are the body of Christ, that we became the children of God through baptism. And he emphasizes a lot the unity that we have with God and the unity that we have with one another. As we've discussed several times before, um, in the early church, there was kind of this transition that was happening um, uh, in terms of the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles and how for the longest time the Jews were the people of God and now all of a sudden the Gentiles are now being accepted and being offered the same salvation as the Jews and St. Paul is focusing now, of course the Ephesians are Gentiles, he's speaking to them about being united in one body um, of Christ along with the Jews together. We'll start in chapter 3. It says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. So why is he saying this? Why is he calling himself the prisoner of Christ Jesus? Because? Because he's in prison. Remember last time I told you the four epistles, so we call them the prison epistles that St. Paul uh, wrote while he was in prison. Do you remember what they were? I gave you like a trick to figure it out. Yes, so which are the PH ones? Good. Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians. Good. So here he's referring to himself as prisoner because he's actually writing this while um, he, he's in prison. Um, and he is speaking here. Um, so he says what? Uh, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, right? Who are the Gentiles he's speaking to? He's speaking to the Ephesians. So he's addressing here um, specifically uh, the Gentiles. And we, we see this in, in kind of the writings of St. Paul of how he's always focusing on the Gentiles. We know, of course, in all of his missionary journeys that he traveled all over the world in Asia and Europe. Um, and, and in these places, actually, the very first thing he would do is he would go to the synagogue, but then he would spread and he would preach to all of the Gentiles who were there because, of course, the majority of the people living in that place were Gentiles and, and not Jews. Um, he says in Romans 11:13, he says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Right? So he's saying what I was appointed as the apostle to the Gentiles. In Galatians 2:8, he says, For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Right? So he's saying the ministry has been divided up. And we see this in um, the, the, the service of the apostles. You know, different apostles were focusing on different groups of people. Like we know, of course, St. Mark came to Egypt and established the Coptic Church. St. Thomas went to India and established the Indian Orthodox Church. Different apostles went to different regions in the world and established their churches. And so also St. Paul and his focus was to the Gentiles. Also in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, he says, To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Right? This is why like, like we, we refer to St. Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. This is why so much of the evangelism that happened um, you know, uh, through St. Paul was to establish churches um, all over the world in the different regions of the Gentiles. If indeed... You have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Right? He's saying, I received, St. Paul, saying, I received the grace of God. Okay? But the reason I received it was for you. It was for a purpose. Right? In, in Galatians 1 verse 12, he said, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning this grace that he received was the grace of apostleship. This ministry, this calling, this priesthood that he received for him to go and to teach and preach and establish churches and pastor his flock and all over the world and all the evangelistic work that he did, all of this was done through the grace of God. So why is it that he received this grace? He received it so that he could use it, right? God gives us gifts so that we can use those gifts, right? This is 
kind of exemplified in the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, we have the master who bestows these talents on his servants, and they are to be good stewards of these talents. They are not the owners of the talents, but they are the stewards. They're the ones that are kind of like working with the talents, even though they don't belong to them directly. And the master goes on a journey, and he comes back later, and he's asking for an account. He says, give me of the interest. Like, give me of the fruit of your work. What is it that you have done with the talents that I have given you? And, it, and, and all those extra interests, you know, all the amount of talents that were earned by those servants, who got to keep them? The master took them right you know actually the, the the servant who was only given one talent when he was grumbling against the master he accused him and he told him what you reap where you have not sown you know you are you are taking of what is not yours he's saying what this talent you gave me is mine and i knew that if i worked with it and i earned anything from it you would when you would return you would simply come and take it from me and he was accusing the master and his attitude reflected what it reflected that he believed that he was the owner, right? So when we receive talents from God, when we receive any grace or any gift coming from God, we should not imagine that we are the ones that own this gift, that this is our own, even our own bodies, you know? Like uh, nothing that we have received, right, is our own. We are to be stewards. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy the things that God gives. Of course, he gives it to us to enjoy, but he doesn't give it to us to keep for ourselves. He wants us to share. That's why in the church, for instance, we try to find people that have different skills um, and we, we appoint them to begin to serve uh, in the church according to the skills that God has given them. And that we consider that this is a calling from God, right? This is not just an administrative work, right? You know, like in a, in a corporation, you know, you say, okay, well, we have a job and here's a job description and we here are the requirements of the position and we try to find people to fill the job that are meet the requirements. Okay, great. That makes sense. In the church, it's not exactly like that. Of course, yes, we have positions and we have needs that need to be met and we're trying to find people that meet the need. But we see it as not, not like a corporation, not like an organization. We see that God is calling each of us to serve him and he is revealing to us how is it that we should serve him, right? And how do we know based on the gifts and the talents that he has given me, right? For instance, in the priesthood, we say that it is a grace of God. God is the one who calls. God is the one who selects. That's why we don't have people who want to be priests go and, um, and apply. Uh, this is kind of a unique thing, actually, in the Coptic Church. Many other Orthodox churches, they actually, they actually, they, they people apply essentially to be priests. But um, in the in the Coptic Church, it's not like that, right? And really, all of the all, all of the services that we have, it's 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 a, it's we're trying to see the will of God manifested. Right. Because if you put someone in a position and this is the will of God and this fits with the gifts that they have received, then the, the service will run smoothly. Right. And there will be harmony and there will be success and achievement and everything. If you put someone in a in a in a service where um, God has not called them for, then maybe you will find like, OK, they're struggling with that service or it, maybe it's not the place where they should be. Right. And maybe there needs to be a change made. Now, that doesn't mean that when we have service and that it's the calling of God that everything's going to run smoothly. No, there's a lot of struggle and difficulty and maybe a lot of times people who are serving in a certain area think the service is not for me, right? Because of the struggle that they're facing, right? But that's that doesn't mean that they were not called, right? Look at St. Paul, for instance. Look at how much struggle he experienced in his life. But at no point did he say, you know what, this isn't my calling. You know, I can't continue this because it's, you know, if it, if it were the calling of God, then everything works smoothly and well. No, right? This is not to say that there is not struggle in the service, but there is also joy in the service. There's also me being able to give of my talents to see that I am being able to use them to further the kingdom of God for the salvation of other people or to do any kind of task that's needed in the church or to serve people outside of the church in whatever capacity that God has given me the grace this is what he is saying. He's saying, for this reason, the reason that I received grace was so that you could be saved. You know, like if we think about and meditate on that, on that like sometimes, I, like even in myself, I think like the reason that God maybe supports me in a certain service that I do is not because I am good or because God is happy with me. No, because he wants the salvation of the people, right? And, and, and I am the conduit through which that is being done, right? And that applies at every level. You know, like if I, if I serve children, for instance, um, then, then God has chosen me to be in this place. And he has chosen me to be the conduit by which 
the children learn about him, that the salvation of God would come through, like obviously through the grace of God, but through me, right? I am the conduit. I am the vessel by which this grace is being imparted to the people that I am serving. So this is a very important lesson we learn from St. Paul, and this is, he's very humble, right? Because someone in a position like him, and with the boldness that he had, and with the talent that he had, and the knowledge that he had, and, and you know, the fearlessness that he had, and the success that he had, he could have very easily begun to be puffed up, or to seek attention for himself. But that is not at all what he did. He, he, he attributed everything to God, and he realized that he was just a steward of his gifts, right? Those gifts were given to him, not just so that he could enjoy them, or gain prominence because of them, but because he would to use them for the salvation of other people. How that, by revelation, he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Okay? We spoke a little bit about this mystery uh, last time. So God, God's mystery, right? What is the word mystery? Mystery is something beyond our comprehension, something that is hidden, right? Something that, is that, that we cannot fully understand or perceive or comprehend or realize at least not to the fullness right so when we speak about the mystery of incarnation the mystery of salvation the mystery of resurrection the mystery of sonship you know we spoke at length last time about how through baptism we become sons and daughters of god this is a mystery how is it that we become sons and daughters how how is it done you know because we go in water then we are sons and daughters how is it done we don't understand how it's done this is what we call it a mystery right um, we, 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 we see how God is working, right? And, and that he is establishing like his kingdom on earth. How is it being done? In what ways is it being done? How are all the historical events that we read about in the scripture just pieces of that puzzle that the people who lived at those times could not understand or realize the significance of what it is that was happening? But now looking back, we see the revelation of that mystery, right? Um, so here, St. Paul is speaking about this mystery, right? And he's saying what the mystery has been known to me, right? How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, right? Again, like this is a big deal. You know, when we read about how St. Paul says that he was taken up to heaven, right? And that so that he would not be puffed up beyond measure, God gave him a thorn in his side so that he would not fall into pride. Imagine... What is it that had been revealed to St. Paul? That b the, by revelation, he, God, made known to me this mystery, right? As I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He's saying, listen to me, because God has revealed to me this mystery. This is why we put so much emphasis on like the church fathers, right? Because the church fathers have received something. You know, when they write, they're not writing out of their own kind of like just making up stuff based on their imagination, right? Something has been revealed. Something has been revealed. Like this is why like the people who we consider to be church fathers are people who are very saintly, godly people. They are people with very good, strong connection to God where like the conduit between them and God is wide and clear and, you know, and, and like they receive knowledge, they receive wisdom, they receive this through the grace of God to them. And when they write, we listen to what they write, right? Because they have an insight that maybe we do not have. And of course, they are also closer to the beginning, closer to the time of the apostles, closer to the time of St. Paul, where he is expounding on all of these mysteries for us to understand, okay? In um, Hebrews thirteen seven. St. Paul is saying, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Okay? The, 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 the economy of God is that he reveals his mystery to the church, and then the church explains it to the people. Right? We're not all walking around with visions and miracles happening to us all the time. We're not walking around or driving and then when we're hearing the voice of God speaking directly to us, saying this is what you should do or this is what this means or this is what that means. No, God like instituted a means by which he communicates to us, right? It doesn't mean that God can't speak supernaturally, but for the most part, the way that God speaks to us in, uh, in terms of at least understanding the mysteries, right? It's through the church, 
right? It's through the church. Here, St. Paul, who is a representation of the church as an apostle, he is receiving this revelation from God, and then he is teaching the people. And he is saying, believe my words, because I received this directly from revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, St. Ignatius of Antioch, he says, be subject to the bishop as to the Lord, for he watches for your souls as one that shall give account to God, right? This is why we revere the bishop, because the bishop is a representation of Christ. We don't worship the bishop. The bishop is not God, but he is a representation. He, he is the one to whom the wisdom of God is funneled to us, right? This is why we, we obey and we submit and we listen, okay? Because it is through the church that God reveals his will for us. So the God is the one who reveals the mysteries of salvation to us. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Okay? So the plan of God, the economy of God, never changed. It was always one. It was always the same. From before time began, God knew what is it that he was going to do. And all we see like coming to pass in the scripture is the fulfillment of this plan, this divine plan, okay? And so what was not known in other ages, right? Now having seen kind of the, the culmination, the pinnacle, the climax of the work of salvation, which was the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Christ, the Son of God, that this was kind of, the, 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 the missing piece that everything else pointed to, all of the prophecies, everything pointed to the coming of the Messiah who was the fulfillment of the law, who was the fulfillment of all the promises of God, who was the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Okay, so, so even though those people at the time didn't understand, didn't see the end of um, their faith, but they believed that what they were doing was a part of this bigger picture, of part of this bigger plan. You know, think about like Abraham, for instance. You know, what is it that God promised Abraham would receive? What is it that God promised Abraham? He would be what? Father? Many Father of many nations. And that his children would be like what? Stars in the sky and sand of, sand of the seashore. Did that ever happen to him? After he died. After he died, right? But not before. Like if I come to you and I say, I'm going to give you a billion dollars, but after you're dead, how are you going to feel about that? Like is that going to be really, is that a good deal? What is it that Abraham, like what was his reward? He had faith and he believed that he was a part of this plan and that the thing that satisfied Abraham was God himself. Like God, God actually said to Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. Like I am, I am sufficient for you. Even though, yes, I am promising you these things and these things are going to happen. But even if you don't see it with your own eyes, but you are a part of this plan. You are a part of the bigger picture. This is again going to the idea of that we are in the body of Christ. You know, we as the body of Christ are benefiting from all the body, Right. Maybe, as St. Paul, when he was speaking to the Corinthians who were kind of arguing with each other about who has the best spiritual gifts, you know, and he said to them, not everyone can be an eye. You know, if everyone was an eye, maybe we use the example of the eye because the eye is a very prominent, very important part of the body that does like a very critical task. So he says, well, if everybody wants to be the eye. Everyone wants to be the most important. Everyone wants to have the, the you know, the most prominent gifts, the ones that you get you the most attention, the ones that get you the most reward for yourself and whatnot, right? But he's saying not everyone can be an eye. We all benefit together in the body. We are all united together as one in the body. And so this gift that God chose to give to the apostles, this is a gift, right? This as they are a part of the body of Christ, to them was revealed the mystery, right? To them was revealed and they wrote it for us so that we could read and understand but it was not fully comprehended throughout the ages. It was only now that we look at it in, in hindsight and we understand what God meant all those years, what God meant all of that time that, that he was sending all those prophets. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
Also he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Right? Because it's a mystery. No one can understand the work of God from beginning to end, but he has put eternity in their hearts. And everything is beautiful in its time. Meaning the work of God, the plan of God is perfect from beginning to end. And God knows it. Right? He knows what he is doing. But it doesn't mean that we understand what he's doing all, all at once. And so what, what now St. Paul is telling the people is now it's been revealed. Right? It has been revealed to me and to the apostles, the, 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 the work of salvation, the thing that God had been preparing for so long, it is now being revealed. And this is why it's important for us to trust and to have faith that God is, is, is doing the right thing for us, even though we don't have full understanding. Okay. Um, some people will ask the question, why is it that God does not speak to us directly? the way that he did in the Old Testament, right? You know, like in the Old Testament, we read many times where it's like God spoke and he said such and such and he told the people do this and do that. And maybe for the majority of us, we never have such an experience, right? Why is it that God is not appearing to us, you know, in this way and, and, and being very clear and direct and telling us what is going to happen or, or reminding us of his presence you know, and why he is wh what he is doing, and so on. Um, in the Old Testament, okay, the people didn't have any; had not yet received the Holy Spirit in them, the grace of Holy Spirit. Notice here, he's Saint Paul. He's saying, "I received the grace of God, the grace of the Holy Spirit, and it through this grace I understood the mystery, right? I understood the mystery." Whereas the people in the Old Testament, even though they could hear the audible voice of God, in a in a very clear and direct way, and yet still their eyes were blinded, yet still they were darkened. They didn't comprehend or understand. They didn't have this wisdom that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so even though they had this direct communication from God, that doesn't mean that things were, it doesn't mean that they understood. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that they understood better than us. Actually, St. Paul, when he was speaking to the Corinthians, he said what? For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, right? We who have received the grace of God, who have the mind of Christ, who have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, we can actually understand the mysteries of God. Whereas those people, right, at that time, they didn't have this. They didn't understand the mind of Christ. Maybe, like, for instance, the, the people when they were told to follow the law of Moses and to offer sacrifices, they didn't understand why they were doing that. Why Why should we do this? And the rules were very difficult, and there were very many of them. And yet, God never gave them an understanding or explanation. They were just to obey, just obey this. Yes, God spoke to them directly with words, but they walked away not knowing why they were doing what they were doing. Whereas now we understand how all of this was fulfilled in Christ. This is also why we pray um, based on the words of Christ in the, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13 when we're, pr when we're about to pray the uh, read the gospel and the liturgy we pray the litany of the gospel and the priest says what blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear um, for assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it meaning all of those prophets Abraham Isaac Jacob Isaiah Jeremiah all these people right who were these pillars of, of faith but they did not see what we see the 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 fulfillment of prophecy the the, the mystery of salvation revealed, and this is the, what is this mystery that St. Paul is, is, is revealing, right? He says, in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So what mystery here is he referring to? What mystery is he referring to that no one understood before? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. Right? What does it mean that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs? Fellow heirs with who? 
with the Jews. What is an heir? An heir is the one who inherits. Who were the people that were inheriting? The Jews were inheriting because the Jews were the people of God in the Old Testament. But now what has been revealed, right? This mystery that has been revealed, that has been revealed to St. Paul, that he is now writing to the Ephesians to explain to them, is that what? That the Gentiles, yes, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, right? Meaning it is not just for the Jews. All people have access to salvation. All of them are of the same body, as, he, as we were talking about last time, like St. Paul emphasized this unity in one body of both the Jews and the Gentiles in the body of Christ. So united with Jews, Gentiles, Christ, all united together. And we spoke also about the sonship, right? So the word gospel, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. This is the good news. The good news is that it is not just for the Jews, right? You know, like the gospels, the four books, you know, of the gospels are the very first thing you read after the, the Old Testament. It's like, here's the good news. All this stuff in the Old Testament applies to everybody. It's not just applying to the Jews only. It's applying to all of us, and it is for a spiritual salvation. It is a far greater thing that God has promised the people than what they realized he was promising them. Okay, he did, They didn't understand what he was really saying in the Old Testament. Okay, so, so this is the mystery that has been revealed. Of which I became a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So St. Paul is what he refers to himself as a minister. What is he a minister of? He is a minister of the truth. He is a minister of the truth that has been revealed to him by Christ, and his mission is to go and teach and preach to all of the people through the grace of God working in him. This is what he is saying. He is getting their attention. He is saying, this is why you should listen to me. You should listen to me because this message applies to you, and that this is the good news Right? This is the gospel message that, that, that Christ came to teach and to implement, right? to put into place for the salvation of all of humanity. Okay? And he says, this apostleship, this gift of the grace of God is given to me by the effective working of his power, meaning God is the one who is working. Right? He was appointed by God through the power of God. God is actively supporting his ministry. God is speaking to the people through him so that they would be saved. Okay? So his ministry was not just through like sheer human effort and discipline, even though St. Paul had very much discipline, but it was blessed by God, supported by God, fulfilled the calling that God had made to him. And we see how other people try to obtain this power for themselves. When other people saw the success of the apostles in casting out demons, the power of God working in them, that they were doing something like very special that no one else could do, you know how it, like the 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 the, the uh, apostles were very well known because of their boldness, because of their faith, because of their knowledge, even though they were uneducated. Right, because of the miracles that they could perform, right? All of this was through the grace of God. It wasn't just because they were very smart, hardworking people, you know. It was because of the grace of God supporting them. And this is something maybe we forget sometimes that God is the one who has to support our life in order for us to be successful. It, it is not enough just to work hard. There are plenty of people that work hard and are are, are not successful. And there's plenty of people who are successful according to the worldly worldly ways but are not truly successful, right? They don't truly have peace in their life. They don't have salvation. They don't have the things that are the most important. When other people try to essentially emulate what the apostles were doing, they were burned, okay? This is, this is the example in Acts chapter 19 where these, um, these seven sons of Sceva, they're called, they see that the apostles are casting out demons and they try to do the same, right? It says... It says this, says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons uh, were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. This is the grace of God. 
This is God calling attention to St. Paul, saying, listen to him, because I have revealed to him the mysteries, and you should listen for your own salvation. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Right? So what was the difference? Right? These men, what were they interested in? They're not interested in the salvation of the people. They don't have any relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They just see that St. Paul is doing these tricks, and they want to do the same thing like him, kind of like um, Simon the sorcerer, who wanted to have the same gifts that the apostles had for his own gain, right? And so here they are trying to do it, and the result was disaster, right? So someone like St. Paul to have the kind of uh, the, the success that he had, it was because he was called by God, he was working through the power of God, the grace of God, in addition to all of his effort that he himself put in. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay? St. Paul always considered himself to be the least, right? And actually, he speaks about this in, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So he was always kind of remembered his past. He remembered that he was a persecutor of Christians. He killed Christians because he believed that this was the will of God before his conversion. And so now, no matter how much grace he receives, no matter how much praise he receives, no, much how much, no matter how much accomplishments he does, he always thinks back to this and he says, I am the least of all the saints. You know, sometimes when we say statements like this, like, oh, I am the least, we don't really mean it. You know, we, we actually are just saying that because we think that that's what humility is, is to say statements like that. You know, how can you tell if you are actually the least? You know, you can tell that if you are the least is if somebody curses you, what is your response? You know, if someone defames you, what is your response? You know, if, 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 if someone wrongs you, how easy is it to forgive? That's in those actions is when we begin to really have an understanding of myself. Like, who do I, what do I think I really am? You know, if, if I am the least, you know, then, then the way that I'm going to react, I'm, I'm not going to be so, like, feel like it's such a injustice whenever I am wronged. Maybe I will think and said, you know what, I deserve more worse than this because of the sins that I've committed, because of the things that I have done, right? So humility is not about saying words. Humility is reflected in our actions. It's reflected in our self-understanding, right? It is not in just saying certain things that make us sound humble. But here, truly, St. Paul was humble, um, and this was being reflected here in what he was saying, and his, his, his reminding himself that I am a sinner. You know, like whenever we have a hard time forgiving someone because of the, 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 what they have wronged us in, all we have to do is remember our own sins. When I begin to enumerate my own sins, how is it that I could be upset with another person? Just like when Christ says, you know, like when he was calling the, the Pharisees hypocrites, and he said what, you know, first remove the, the plank in your own eye, then you can remove the speck in your brother's eye, right? But with the plank in your own eye, you are blind, and you don't even see enough to remove the speck in your brother's eye. So if I realize that I have a plank in my own eye all the time, then I will never seek to judge another person. I will never seek to remove specks in other people's eyes because I feel like all I can focus on is my own sin. My, my interest is not in the sins of other people or to judge other people for what they have done or what they do or what they say. All I look at is myself and my iniquities and my unworthiness and the grace that God is giving me even though I have all these weaknesses and sins and God's goodness toward me, right? So, so this, um, this is the way of humility. Right to remember myself, to really know myself truly um, as I am. Um, so he's saying, I do not deserve to receive these mysteries. I don't. I did not deserve 
for this conversion to happen to me. I did not deserve for the Lord to appear to me on the road. I did not deserve to be baptized. I did not deserve to receive all these revelations and to be an apostle and to receive all these blessings. I, I am the least of all of the saints. And yet God chose me for this mission. Okay, And he did suffer for it. Right, He suffered. And actually when, um, when, when St. Paul first in his conversion um, and, and he went to this, uh, God was speaking to um, uh, Ananias, right? Ananias is the, the bishop who um, would uh, baptize St. Paul. And he says to him in Acts 9, says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Right? You see here two things working at the same time. Number one, the how much God was going to use St. Paul. From the very beginning, he's, he's revealing this to us when he was speaking to Ananias, right? Um, he was telling him, he is a chosen vessel. I have chosen him, right? It is a calling. I have chosen him. And, and what is he? He's going to do great things, okay? He's going to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. He's going to bear my name everywhere, right? But in addition to that mission, it is not just a mission of glory, okay? He says, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. That glory always comes with it some kind of suffering. And because if glory came without suffering, then it would lead to pride. And that's just the bottom line. For us as human beings, you know, once we experience enough glory, there will be some falling away that happens. There will be some disconnect that happens. There will be self, some harm that's going to come to me from all of the glory that I'm experiencing. That's even St. Paul said it himself whenever he received the thorn in his side. Why did he receive it? So that he would not be puffed up because of the multitude of the visions that he saw when, he, when, when God showed him the vision of heaven. This is why God gave him suffering. So in the life of St. Paul, there was always this balance of glory and suffering, glory and suffering. Yes, he was able to perform miracles and cast out demons and snakes would bite him and nothing would happen to him and he could tell what was going to happen and all this stuff, glory and great achievement. You know, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. He established so many, ch more churches than anyone else that ever, that ever lived, right? More churches than all the other apostles, right? But he also experienced very, very great suffering as a result of that. So whenever we are seeking to be successful in our service, or in any way, we should also not be surprised when we experience resistance or suffering because it is actually through this suffering that our service is complete, right? That our service is something that we are able to do it and it actually strengthens our faith because we are turning to God and all these struggles and trials we're experiencing, which actually helps us to serve even better. A, a good example of this is the apostles after they had been beaten by the Sanhedrin council. It says in Acts chapter 5, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You know, and I, and I think about this verse myself, and I ask myself, like, if this happened to me, would I be rejoicing? You know, like if something like this happened to us, would we be rejoicing that we got to suffer in the name of Christ? Or we'll be calling our lawyer trying to figure out who we should sue. You know, um, we, we focus so much on my own rights and what I deserve and what I'm entitled to. Okay. And, and, and yes, we have rights. Okay. But, but there is a difference between seeking my rights while at the same time accepting my, accepting my fate in the sense that I'm accepting God is allowing such a thing to happen to me. Right. These are the apostles. Right, they're they're not just anybody. They're 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 not just no name people. They're not sinners. They're not people whom God was choosing to punish. They were the ones who were equipped by Christ for three years to now go into the world and spread the message and establish the church. Like if if God was going to, you know, shield anyone from suffering, it would be these men, because He would want to smooth their paths. Like this is what we've been waiting for. We've been doing this for three years. Now it's time for you to go. Why would I allow? people to get in the way of establishing the church now that it, the time has come and obviously God has the capability to prevent them from suffering to have a smooth sailing right in every way but actually this suffering was a part of the mission that it was through the suffering they experienced for Christ that they were able to be successful because the more they suffered the more 
they drew closer to God. The more the grace of God worked in them, the more that they needed Christ to see that the outcome of their ministry was not because of their human effort, because the whole world was against them. The whole world was against them. All the Jews were against them. And yet, despite that, they were able to maintain and to be faithful and to even be willing to die for the name of Christ, which they did, um, but establish the church um, also. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Right? So again, St. Paul is speaking still about his mission. What is he coming to do? His mission was to reveal this mystery, and when everyone understands this mystery of Christ, they would see the love of God for them, and they would love him in return. Okay? To make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery, to see what is it that Christ has actually done. Why was he incarnated? Who is he? What is it that he did? What is the significance and importance and relevance of what he did, which from the beginning of ages had been hidden, right? It's like we are now living in a time where you are, are seeing the culmination of this work of salvation that had been ongoing for thousands of years. You are now understanding and seeing it to make everyone realize what is it that God does, you know? When we go and preach, yani, when we're trying to win people to Christianity, we should be approaching it like this, saying, let me tell you what is it that Christ actually offered us. We are not go and say, okay, God tells you you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't live like this, you shouldn't say this. No, that's not the way to approach like, like, like teaching someone about the love of God. You say, this is what Christ did for us. We were dead in sin and he came and died on our behalf so we could have eternal life. Right? This is what St. Paul is trying to explain to these Gentiles. It's like, do, do you realize the state that you were born in? Do you realize that you're, you're, you, you, you've accepted death as a reality? You've accepted death as a natural part of life. You know, like we always say, like, death is a natural part of life. It's not supposed to be a natural part of life. It was never intended to be a natural part of life because it is the opposite of life. Right? We, we, we are born into a world where we just come to accept that death is the thing. And death is a normal thing that we all realize. But it is not normal. It is not supposed to be. It is the disease. You know, just like we don't accept like that cancer is normal. Yes, yes, we know people have cancer, but that's not the intended way. Like that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's considered unhealthy, and we try to make people healthy by curing them of the disease, right? But people have so accepted death as a reality that they don't even see it as something that can be cured. It's just something to be dealt with inevitably. It is going to come, which is going to be the end of me, right? The end of me. But here what St. Paul is telling them is no. There should not be death. Christ came to abolish death. Christ came to raise you from the dead. Christ came to make you to be alive forever. So you do not have to deal with death, okay? And this is the message he's trying to give them. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, manifold means manifold, so it's like multiplied, many, many times over, the wisdom of God might be known by the church, okay? So saying that the church wouldn't understand the wisdom. The church would understand the mystery, all these mysteries that we're talking about, that St. Paul is received it from Christ. He is now telling the church, telling the believers, this is what Christ is doing and what Christ has done. This is the fulfillment of the prophecies and so on. Okay? Um, and that this is far greater than, you know, than, than anyone can comprehend, far beyond human comprehension. What is it that God is doing? Okay? So this work of salvation can now be revealed in the church. <coughs> what does it mean when it says, known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places? Okay, He's saying that the angels themselves, okay, who know God and understand the wisdom of God, but even they did not fully comprehend the work of salvation. Even they do not fully comprehend how is it that God became a human being. Okay, How is it that he achieved what he did? How is it that he chose to do what he did? It was something, um, it was so mysterious, it was even beyond the comprehension of the angels. 
okay? The principalities and powers in the heavenly places, okay? This is what St. John Chrysostom says, okay? He says, truly the mystery was not declared to any man, but do you manifest the mystery to the angels, the archangels, dominions, and authorities? He said, yes. Although it was hidden in God, the creator of everything, do you dare utter that? Yes, and how was it declared to the angels? Through the church. Didn't the angels know him? Didn't the archangels know him? Even those who did not know him. He called it the mystery, for the angels did not know it, nor was it declared to anyone. Truly the angels knew that the Gentiles were called, but they did not know that they were called to enjoy the same privileges which the Israelites have enjoyed, and to sit on God's throne. No one expected that, nor believed it. Right? So he's saying, look at like the, the magnitude of such a mystery that even the heavenly beings could not comprehend it, that the heavenly beings didn't understand that even the Gentiles were called to the same salvation as the Jews. Um, we see something similar in 1 Peter chapter 1, um, here where St. Peter is speaking about salvation. He says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, to them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Meaning again what? This mystery has been revealed to the church, has been revealed to the apostles, that, the, 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 that, all of, that God is, is accepting all of us as his children to become heirs with him. The angels are not heirs. Like, like, God is giving us a reward greater than that of the angels, even though the angels never sinned against him, but we have sinned. Like, it, like, like it shows you something about how much God loves us undeservedly, right? Look at how much we have sinned against God. Look at all of our weaknesses. Look at all the times that we disobey him, okay? And yet God is granting us a reward to be sons and daughters, of him, just like Christ, and to reap all of the inheritance that Christ inherits, even though we have done nothing good for God, but angels whom have never sinned against him, who are faithful, loyal ministers created from eternity whenever they were created, always serving God, and yet they are not receiving the same reward. It is baffling to the mind to understand this concept of why, like the magnitude of God's love toward us. Why is it? that he loves us to this degree when we have done nothing to deserve such love. The closest analogy you can have is the love of a parent to the child, where the child maybe is disobedient and misbehaving and, 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 and requires you to spend time and money and effort and energy and, and they dis like all this, and yet the parent loves the child without, you know, without, any, without wavering, right? It is, it is an inherent you know, fatherhood and motherhood that is placed in us to love our children in that way, right? That I would give myself for them. I would sacrifice myself for them. Why? What is it that they have done to deserve such a thing? Nothing. They didn't do anything, you know? And yet, this is what God is doing to us. We have not done anything. He is rewarding us greater than the angels. This is the angels themselves desire to look into it. Like they're, they're like looking at it and they don't understand it. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Okay? So it's saying in Christ we have boldness and we can access him with confidence. Meaning the work of God in our lives is something that we have confidence in. We believe that what he has promised and what he has accomplished is true and cannot be revoked, and cannot be changed, and God is forever going to hold to his promise that he is offering this to us. God's work of salvation, okay? In John 10, it says what? And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand, right? No one can take us away from God. God's work of salvation is final. The devil can never overcome it. We are forever in the hands of God. But there is one caveat to this. The one person that is able to separate us from God is me. I am the only one. 
They can separate myself from God. The devil cannot separate me from God. Other people cannot separate me from God. God will forever be faithful to what he has said, and he will never reject us unless we reject him, right? St. Paul himself, again, like St. Paul, look at his life. This is what he said. He said, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Like if you could even imagine a scenario where St. Paul would be disqualified and that he was so concerned with this that he said, I have to live a disciplined life. It is not enough that I am an apostle. It's not enough that I've been given this grace of the Holy Spirit, that God has revealed mysteries to me, that Christ has appeared to me, that I have heard the voice of God, that, that, that I have received the laying of hands, that, that I perform all these miracles, that I can drive out demons. None of that is enough, right? I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, meaning I am doing my service, I am teaching others, I am preaching to others about salvation, and maybe, yes, they are receiving it. But I myself should become disqualified because I do not practice what I preach. Because I do not live according to what I'm telling others to live um, to. So we believe that the work of God cannot be revoked and cannot be canceled, cannot be undone. But God gives us the free will. And at any moment, I can choose to leave it all behind. You know, the prodigal son... He had, he was living in his father's house. He had all of the inheritance. He had all the access to everything. He had everything his father had. And when the son chose to leave, the father let him leave. You know, he did not, he did not oblige him to stay. He didn't say, no, you cannot leave. I'm locking the door. No, if you choose to leave, you can leave. Okay? So, so the confidence here and the boldness that we have is the boldness and confidence in God. But it is not confidence in myself. Right? It is not confidence in myself. St. Paul is saying, I discipline my body because I don't have confidence in myself. I don't trust myself. I don't trust my will. I don't trust my heart because it is deceitful. You know, when, when St. Paul was speaking to the Gentiles in Rome, okay, he's speaking about how, uh, like, like he's, he's, he's speaking about how, like, the church is like a, like, like a tree, and then grafted into that tree are the branches. There's the natural branches which grow out of the tree, which are the Jews, and there is the grafted branches, which are the Gentiles. They are not natural in the sense that they were not originally in the tree, but they came later, and they were grafted into the tree to become one with the tree. Okay? But he says to them, he's warning the Gentiles, he says, because of unbelief, they were broken off. They, he's referring to the natural branches, because the Jews rejected Christ. He's saying the natural branches, the ones who grew with the tree were the natural branches, right? Um, they were broken off. And you, to the Romans, stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Meaning, if the natural branches, the original branches that were part of the tree, could be broken off because of their unbelief, then don't think that you grafted branches can't be broken off. Yes, you can. Right? So don't be haughty, but fear. So again, this message of salvation when it comes to God's work, boldness, confidence, complete faith, God will never change his mind. He will never come and say, oh, I changed my mind. You guys can't go to heaven anymore. No. We have 100% faith that what God has said is true and will abide and will never change. But the thing I can't trust is myself. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So again, St. Paul's in prison. Everyone knows that he's in prison. Okay, and so he is going through tribulations. He doesn't want the people to be sorrowful for him. His sufferings are for their salvation. Again, we said that God allows the suffering in the life of St. Paul and the apostles and his servants for some higher purpose. That this is actually part of the plan of salvation. So St. Paul is saying, do not lose heart of my tribulation. Right? This tribulation is for your glory. This tribulation is for your salvation. St. Paul saw himself, like this is the true fatherhood of St. Paul, right? He, 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 he would be more than willing, you know, there's a nice verse, says, I'm willing to spend and be spent for your souls, right? To spend and be spent. His apostleship was not just like 
a teacher, a lecturer, someone, a preacher, someone who comes and stands in far large groups of people, and because he's very knowledgeable, he's able to give like wonderful sermons, and then he goes home. Right? That's not St. Paul. Okay? He was willing to accept suffering. This is the mark of love, right? He said what to the Corinthians? For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Meaning his relationship with them is not just, I'm going to teach you something. You know, even when we speak, let's say, like to the Sunday school, right? The Sunday school service is not just a service of teaching. You know, that's why in the church we don't even call the Sunday school, we don't call them teachers. We call them servants. And Christ said about the servant that they are the ones who wash the feet, right? They are not the ones who just stand and give orations and lessons and pat the kids on the back. It's like, have a good week. No, the, the, the Sunday school service and, and the, the priesthood and, and all the pastoral services in the church are about washing the feet, are about placing myself under, are about offering myself, are about inconveniencing myself, are about giving of myself, not giving out of my abundance, but maybe even giving out of my, my, my need, you know, when I am not in the mood, when I don't feel like it, when I'm struggling in my own life, and then I try to give of myself to another person. This is real love. This is the true love. I give when it is hard to give. I give when it is painful to give. This is what St. Paul is doing. Like, he could have very well, you know, been sorry for himself. Like, I'm in prison. God, I've been serving you. I've been working. Why are you, why are you allowing me to be in prison? Like, like this is a bad situation. Uh, didn't you want me to go into, why are you not rewarding me? Why? Like, that's our mentality. That's how we think about ourselves, right? But he didn't think that. Even while he was in prison, what is his mind? He's thinking about his people. He's saying, let me take this opportunity that now I am in my house here, in this um, house arrest, and unable to go out. Let me write letters. Let me write letters to the churches. Let me ask about them. My mind and my thoughts and my prayers are with them. The do not lose heart because my tribulations is for your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So in his trials... He is bowing to God. He honors God. He submits his will to God. He accepts whatever God wants his life to look like. If it is time for him to die, he is willing to die. If he will be released, he will be released and continue his ministry. Whatever it is that God wants for his life, he will accept Okay, as part of the greater good. He does not resent what is happening to him, right? And he sees beyond his personal life and his beyond his personal problems to realize what is my role in the greater work of salvation. Okay, um, He also, and this is very beautiful, where he says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He sees the church as a family and that this church is composed of both what we call the victorious church in heaven and the struggling church on earth. The, the people, whether they have gone to heaven or are, con or are still on earth, are one family, this body of Christ, connected to the head who is Christ. So, so he is seeing kind of this, this, this like beautiful picture of the church. This is why we say the gates of Hades can never overcome the church, right? Because, because the church is the body of Christ, and Satan can never overcome Christ. Christ is too powerful for, for Satan to overcome. So he is, he's bowing in humility, bowing in prayer um, to Christ, and, and, and seeing that he is the head of the whole church in heaven and on earth, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay? So he is um, he's asking that God would grant the Ephesians this riches of glory, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, and that Christ would dwell in them, 
that they would be transformed by him, that they would have peace through him, that they would know him in the most intimate way possible, that their relationship with Christ would be just as what he himself, right, has experienced. And that the love that they will see and experience that they are not able to comprehend because that love, right, is, is you know, he, he's saying the, the length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Like he's describing the love of Christ as so, like, so great in magnitude that we cannot even begin to comprehend the magnitude of it. You know, going back to what we said that, like, God is giving us what we do not deserve, right? That the angels themselves cannot comprehend or understand what is it that God is doing for his children. This experience that we have with Christ goes far, far, far beyond just knowing things about God. You know, sometimes we, we focus so much on information, you know, information about God. What does it mean to know God? Some people think knowing God is to know facts about God, knowing information about God. Being a very deep-minded, maybe theologian, in all the depth of my knowledge of church history and rites and, and, and how Christianity has developed over the years and whatnot, right? But how does that connect to this? Like, how is it that I have this to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge? You know? Our relationship with Christ is far beyond um, just to know information. It is a, an experience that we live on a, on, a, on a daily basis. And you can see St. Paul is speaking from his great experience. Even though he had great knowledge, and he was a Pharisee, and he could have quoted to you all of the prophecies, and he could have, you know, we don't even hear him speaking about this. We hear him speaking about, like, like, like his real experience in the relationship with Christ on a daily basis, and that is playing out in his life. Like, he is willing to put himself on the line. He is willing to risk his life. He is willing to submit. He's willing to be martyred. He's willing, like, it's a real life experience. Like, we see it manifested not just in his great knowledge, but on his great action on his great love, on his great service, right, that he is offering to everyone. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So St. Paul trusts that all of this is, is going to come to pass according to God's will and power. In God's good timing, everything is going to be done in the right time. And that he's, God is able to do even more than we comprehend. You know, our prayers are too limited. We don't ask for God what he really can do. We ask maybe for the little things that we want him to do without realizing that he can accomplish much greater things than maybe we don't even ask him for. We cannot even fathom what he is capable of doing. It's like we don't have enough of an imagination to realize, like, the greatness of God. Um, The final example I will leave you with is the example of King David and Goliath, kind of just as an example. Most of us, maybe, or I'll speak for myself, that if I was told to go and to fight with like a nine-foot man, warrior, um, that I probably would run away. And I would believe that immediately I would be unable to do so because I'm not like the most athletic person and I'm not in the military and I don't have any weapons and I'm only like five foot nine. So, so for King David, however, right, he saw that it was not he who stood in front of Goliath. He, King David did not see it that way. King David did not see himself standing before Goliath. He saw that Goliath was standing before God. And who is it that would win, like in such a scenario? Of course, God would win. There's no way that anyone could beat God in anything. The difference is that King David had such faith to believe that God was present. And this is what St. Paul was saying here, right? He's saying, he's saying God is present. Even if I am in, pres in prison, God is present. Even though the church is being persecuted, God is present. Whatever comes to pass, it is with the permission of God. So don't be distressed about it. Whatever is going to happen, God is allowing to happen. Whether it makes me happy or it doesn't make me happy, but in the end, it is in the control of God. This is what King David said to Goliath. He says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Right? Like his armor, his weapon was God himself. Okay? And who is it that you are defying? It is not me. You're, you're defying God. Even when we think about like all of the really kind of bad kind of direction that our society is going morally and, and, and a lot of different things and all the things that we read about in the news and the things that maybe bring us stress. Right? Who is being defied here? It is not me personally. It is God. God is the one who is being defied. And maybe this is the Goliath you know, of our time where we feel like we are unable to stand up and fight this Goliath and we are just victimized by it and, 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 f and feel like I am powerless in front of it. But again, nothing is impossible for God, whether it be in my personal life, whether it be in our society, whether it be in the church. Here, St. Paul's message is nothing is too much for him. Nothing is too much. So be at peace and, 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 and trust God in all things and have a relationship with him. Realize the love that he has for you and that St. Paul is revealing this mystery to all of us, this mystery of salvation, and that when we see the magnitude of love that God has for us that is beyond our understanding, then we also would love him in return. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing, O God, and we ask for you to make us understand the depth and the height and the width of your love for us, how much, O Lord, you are with us at all times, how much you see all of our struggles, and that you are with us day by day. We ask, O Lord, that you strengthen our faith, and we ask, O Lord, that you reveal your mystery of salvation to us, that we would see, O Lord, how much you love us, and that we would love you in return. We ask, O God, that you be with us and you be with the church in all places. You protect us, O Lord, from sin. And you open the eyes, O Lord, of those who are living in darkness and to bring them, O Lord, to the light of life and to grant them eternal life. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. And also with your spirit.